Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast for busy pediatricians who want to better understand children's emotional health and behaviors and gain the skills and knowledge to help them thrive. I'm Leah Gagino, a primary care pediatrician. I see patients every day who struggle with depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts, and I know you see these kids too. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Good morning. Thanks for joining me, and my guest today is Sandy Fowler. Sandy and I met on her own podcast, Mighty Parenting, and we talked about suicide prevention, and I will put that link in the show notes. She is a stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and as I mentioned, a podcast host, and she's really passionate about helping people make big choices that impact their lives and reduce stress. She is always helping busy women and parents and wants to help them find simple ways to de-stress and make life better. She's the author of two books on relieving stress and making the holidays better and the co-creator of The Keys to Getting What You Want, Four Little-Known Communication Secrets. She describes Mighty Parenting as real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults, where she leans into tough topics and helps parents raise healthy, happy, emotionally well adults. Hey, Sandy, good morning. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I am thrilled that you're doing this work. This is so needed. Well, thank you. Honestly, my inspiration came from you. It was after you invited me to do the Suicide Prevention for Parents podcast on your podcast, Mighty Parenting. And I thought this is so much fun. And I know a lot of interesting people and I wanted to bring you. So I just thought we'd get started and maybe talk a little bit about how you got started on this podcast for parents. So the podcast came along in the midst of doing my other work. I work primarily one-on-one. I work primarily with moms who are looking for ways to enjoy their family and the rest of their life too, decreasing that stress, finding time for what they need. Well, I have a business part, had a business partner. She's since had to leave the business, unfortunately, but she was also working in stress relief, but in the military community. And she had the experience where her son attempted suicide. And after that happened, of course, that shifted our focus a little bit. And we wanted to help parents learn emotional wellness tools and techniques. We wanted to help them learn what things they can look for to know if their kids need some help or to learn some new tools. And so we decided to start the Mighty Parenting Podcast just to help parents of teens and 20-somethings get a little more information because we lose our parent groups when our kids become teenagers. So we don't have that source anymore and we needed something. So, I mean, honestly, when kids come into our office, I think we are focusing on the patient and may forget that the parents are as important to make sure that they're doing okay And we need to keep them in mind when we're talking about kids' distress. Yeah, and I think we forget, there's the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? 
And we laugh about it, but there's a lot of truth to that. If mom and dad or mama, mom or dad, dad, if, you know, if the parents don't have emotional and and mental wellness tools themselves, they can't pass them on to their kids. So if you're trying to work with your patient, you, I think, would find that it's helpful if you have the support of the parents and the family, if they are able to model and teach their teens the things that you want the teen to do. And I guess just, you know, springboarding off of that, why did you pick this age group? Because I think you specifically target older kids. We do, teens and 20-somethings, and not that the advice doesn't work. We've had people contact us who have toddlers who listen to the show, but when we're having our conversations, we focus on that age group for a couple of reasons. One is, as I said, parents lose the support network. When our kids are little, we have playdates and we're talking to other parents. We're in the classrooms. We're involved in their activities and their lives. Once they get into high school, Rightfully, the schools are moving the parents back a little bit so that the kids can spread their wings more and be more responsible, more on their own. So the parents oftentimes lose that parental support. Also, when we're talking about mental and behavioral health issues, those are things that parents don't discuss amongst themselves. Even, you know, because we're worried about stigma, we're worried about what will happen to our child in the community or at school. So we felt. It's not the proud parent moment to have your kid in a lot of distress. Exactly. And this is an age where that distress really builds. The high school years, the post-high school years, college years, you know, that getting out on their own, those are high stress environments. Anxiety rates are through the roof. Suicide rates have been going up dramatically for kids of all ages, and we just We needed a place where parents could get some information support. And the teen years and 20-something years are different. They are different. So we needed to be able to really hone in on what's happening at that point in our kids' lives. Yeah, it was one of those things, honestly, you know, I'm a pediatrician and I thought, gosh, I I got this, which I've thought many (laughs) times along the way. But honestly, as a parent, you know, just because you know stuff doesn't make you a better parent. And I think part of it is when like middle school, when my kids went off, you know, they went from they adore you and want to spend time with you to now they want to spend time with your friends. And as a parent, I wasn't ready to not be needed in that way. I mean, they still needed me to just look different. And then when things got rough, which they were, that was, that's what happened. I mean, that was true. You know, I talked to some families and one of the books that I wish somebody had told me about was Yes, Your Teen is Crazy. And it was really about kids' brains are under development. And because of that, they can't think clearly, but we can. So it was guide on like check yourself which I think is true for most disaster situations or high stresses. You got to regulate yourself so you can respond. And exactly. I, I wish somebody had told me about it way earlier. That would have been really helpful. Well, that's that parenting circle that we lose, right? If you still had the same kind of connection with other parents that you had when your kids were little, you would have heard about it. Because when you're sitting around waiting for them or having a coffee or whatever, you're going to be going like, oh my gosh, you know, Sandy's doing these things and I just do not get it. I don't understand. Someone else will go, oh yeah, we have the same problem. Even if someone doesn't have the answer, 
at a minimum, you know that you're not alone and that it's not that you're doing something wrong or that there's something wrong with your child. You just, you at least get that, that confirmation that, okay, so this is kind of normal. This happens. Yeah, I think that's really true. Do you see common themes that have come up in your podcast or the areas that are, you know, especially interesting to parents? There are definitely common themes. As I interview experts, I actually do see over and over and over a few things. One is, you already touched on it, our teens still need us and they still want us around. It just needs to look a little different. So that's one thing is we just need to learn when and how to be there for our kids as teenagers as opposed to little kids. Two is communication. And as parents, we spend our lives teaching our kids. When they're little, we're just talking to them when they're very, very tiny, right? Then we're giving them instructions. We're showing them how to do things. We have to shift gears because in their teen years, that also is not what they want and need from us unless there's explicit agreement or permission that, yes, this is what I want right now. Like, yes, dad, show me how to change the oil on the car. You know, that's a teaching showing moment. Our communication really needs to be much more about listening, about showing that we're there to be supportive, to maybe provide some more guidance or coaching And to be willing oftentimes, especially when our kids get into mental and behavioral health issues, we need to be willing to shut up and just be a place for them to know it's safe to talk. And the third thing that I see that's a very common theme is we have to model what we want them to do. We look at our teens and we go, oh, if they would just do this, check ourselves and go, am I doing that? And if I'm not, the best thing I can do for opening up that conversation with my teen or for teaching them to do it isn't to try to teach them to do it, it's to do it myself and model it for them. I think you've said three important things. One, listen, which is clearly something, I mean, not only as a parent, but as a pediatrician. And oftentimes, I think they've looked at things that within less than a minute, the physician is already asking a question. So listening, coaching, and I use that metaphor when I refer people out to therapy. Rather than your child needs to see a therapist, I sometimes suggest it as a coach. And just like you use a coach to get better at soccer, this is a way to manage your anxiety. In particular, I find that that's really helpful for anxiety because it is so much a skills you know, strategy for managing that. And then your last about modeling. And I think, again, is at my point in my career, it's really hard for me when I see parents that are struggling with their own stuff and can't see it. And especially stuff like substance use disorder or I, I, that's a big one. And when they're upset about kids using alcohol, but they can't manage their own And I'm pretty direct about saying, hey, I think this is a concern. And then trying not to be judgmental about it, but helping with that. So listening, coaching, and modeling, those are three really good points. And you're so right about parents having their own things. Not that we need to have everything under control before we can talk to our kids about it. But one, we need to recognize and acknowledge 
and deal with our own stuff. One of the things that I frequently hear, and we had happen in our family as well, was a child will actually agree to go to see a therapist. And what happens is, in very nice words and much better than what I'm going to phrase it, but I'm a bottom line person. And the bottom line is, hey, parent, you need to deal with your stuff because your child is spending all the energy they have dealing with you and your problems. They have nothing left to actually manage their own anxiety and other issues in their life. So we can actually be and sometimes are a big part of the problem. Well, and I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, you have to regulate yourself. If you overreact, it's not helpful and blow up. And I'm certainly saying that I've done all those things. I mean, there are many times I wish I could go back and have done it differently. Uh, My kids are who they are and lovely young adults because of all their trials and tribulations. But, you know, you wish it could have, woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? Can you think of times, just examples, when a pediatrician or other physician said or left you with something that was not helpful and made you feel that you weren't as good a parent as you could be or things that were said that you felt uplifted? So personally, I'm a little bit different when it comes to working with the medical community. I am definitely... I'm definitely a person who expects my doctors to partner with me, whether it's for me, my husband, my kids, whatever. So we've had pretty good experiences, but what I have seen are instances where the doctor just doesn't know what to do. And I had one instance where they didn't know what to do, and so they recommended, and this was a physical issue, they recommended something that, in my opinion, was a terrible choice. Instead of just saying, you know, I don't know for sure why this is happening, here are some options, or let's look into this, which as a parent, I know that as a doctor, you feel like people are looking to you for the answer, the answer in the moment. And I'm not in your shoes. I can't tell you for sure what will happen, but I am on the other side and I talk to other parents and we don't know what's going on. That's why we come to you. And most of the parents I talk to are really okay with a doctor going, you know, I'm not certain about this in this moment, or I see this, this, and this, and we have some options. Let's take some time and explore them or look into them. And just being straight and honest with us about that is actually really comforting. Because partly, in a sense, you're also saying, hey, you know, it's okay for you not to know. Like, I don't even necessarily know exactly what's going on. Another time, though, where I was comforted, so one of my girls has been through some serious issues and has has gone to therapy, and she was actually over 18 at the time when she went to see our family doctor, so the doctor could not talk to me about it and did not talk to me about it, but I had good communication going on with my daughter. I knew what was happening, and so after her appointment, we talked about it, and I very much appreciated that our family doctor said, talk to her about it. She addressed the issue, you know, head on, but very kindly, and then gave my daughter an option for contacting her directly. 
So, you know, if this or this or this happens, if you feel like this, you can email me directly. Nobody will see it. Nobody will hear. And I appreciated that. Um, I also have a great appreciation that you as a, as a pediatrician or a, or a family physician are really not trained in how to handle mental and behavioral health issues. So I thought that that was really great, that she was made sure my daughter knew there was an adult who could help her if she needed that. And I think what you mentioned about the not knowing, we are trained, I mean, we spend years going to school and doing on-the-job training. I mean, basically, that's what residency is. And we are taught that, you know, the buck stops here. This is my problem, and I need to fix it for you. I mean, that's clearly why you're coming to me. And what you're describing is a whole different approach to you have a concern. You're coming to someone with expertise. I need to listen to what you have to say about what the real struggle is. Have some degree of expertise about options and be able to share when I don't know something. I remember back in residency, if you acted as if you knew everything, you get in trouble because you act then on stuff that you don't know what you're doing. And I think you're right about our training. We do have some training and I think it's getting better, but in emotional behavioral health, I think there was at least a thought that this is something that belongs to psychiatry. Well, the reality is there aren't enough child psychiatrists to go around. And a lot of this stuff that comes up, anxiety, depression, is not necessarily a psychiatric disorder that is serious that may need that level of care. And a lot of it we can manage. But being able to say to a parent, this sounds really tough with some empathy and I'm going to ride the ride with you. And if I need other additional information, we need to get a psychiatric opinion. I'm going to help you do that. And not necessarily knowing all the answers, but being with you. I love the way you said that, Leah, because that's it. You know, as a parent, we just want to know that somebody who knows more than us is going to help us get through it. Not that we come in and have an answer immediately. And I also understand you're going to run into patients because I have people in my family who still want the doctor to give them a pill or do something in an instant to fix it. But that's an education process for us too, is that a lot of these things aren't fixed instantaneously. And I think that unfortunately, there's some onus being put on physicians to be teaching families at least that the there are emotional wellness skills because you said yourself these are not all disorders what happens is our, our kids they start getting stressed and they get anxious and these things build up and it can build up to the point of being a disorder yes some have an issue right up front but at the levels that we're seeing this is about families not having the tools and the skills to deal with emotional wellness. So this is, you asked about starting the podcast. This was a big part of starting the podcast was let's learn these things as parents and let's teach them to our kids and show them that they can take control. Like you said, anxiety is large. It's largely a skills-based solution to that problem. And yes, there are medications and some people use them and some people use them for a while and some people need to stay on them, but it's not just a medication issue. 
it's definitely a skills issue. I wish it was that simple. I mean, if, if a pill could, you know, it's like with strep throat, if you can prescribe an antibiotic and it all gets better, that would be awesome. But, you know, so much of this is complicated. And sometimes I say, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but, you know, I don't have a pill for messy family. If things are complicated and chaotic, you know, medication may help with some symptom relief and that may help a kid regulate so that they can accept help. But if there's a lot of chaos in the family, that is going to impact kids' behavior. And that's a real challenge, helping parents understand how that environment is so impactful. And I think oftentimes they just want to fix the kid not everything else around them. And that just doesn't work very well. Leah, that's why people come to our podcast. They come in because there's a problem with their child. And then what they start finding out is that, oh, well, I can't fix the child. The child is a human being and, and none of us can make another human being do something. But there are things that I can do as a parent. And and yeah, you're right. And that is definitely a challenge for physicians is with these issues, environment is a huge, huge factor. And so getting parents on board and, and getting that kind of team mentality going, as we were talking about before, like, this is what I'm seeing and I will be with you. We'll, this is going to take some time for us to walk through, but we'll do it together. Starting to build that base can also then help open up the parent to hearing about things they can do. And then also framing it in the way of, these are things we can do to help our child, rather than the, well, if you weren't doing this, then your kid wouldn't be having a problem or, you know, but just, you know, there are things that the family can do that can help, you know, Susie or Sandy or Johnny or whoever through this time. And here are some things that your family might want to try. I think if you can frame it up in a way that is non-judgmental, because blaming isn't going to help anybody. Now I'm just angry that you blamed me and I can't hear anything else you said. Yes. <laughs> and I do think that it's really important keeping in mind that, you know, not only are things difficult right now, but if a parent had a traumatic history and, you know, was raised in a situation where their parenting wasn't that great. I mean, they're working out of what they know. I mean, everybody does the best they can. And I think the other thing is keeping in mind kids' brain development is super important. There's another book called Brainstorm. And the idea that kids' brains don't fully form until they're about 25. So the front part, you know, if you put your hand on your forehead, the prefrontal cortex is your smart brain. That's the part that helps you make good judgments and take in information and process. And then there's the reptilian brain, the amygdala, which is like deep seated and that's our fight or flight. And when kids have emotional challenges, that amygdala flyers and just overloads the front part of the brain. So now, you know, so if a police officer stopped me and I'm angry and I want to punch them, you know, an adult might be like, nah, that's not a great idea. And a kid might act out on that impulse because they just don't have the brain development to damp that down. And that can be really problematic. And I think understanding that, and also it gives you hope that this isn't going to last forever. You know, when one of my friends told me during my own struggle with my kids, you know, this will get better, I thought there's no way. And 
now that my kids are adults and I love my adult children, it's so much fun. And they love me and we're good friends, but it's totally different because I just had to wait for them and they had to wait for me to also get smarter. Yeah. And that's a huge point too, Leah, is that when the physician can help start educating the parent and again, framing it, like you said, so coming in and saying, hey, I know this is really hard for you. It won't last forever. Your child's brain is developing and kind of explain it just little bits. I mean, not all the medical detail, but that very high level, their brain's still developing. They actually do not have the capacity to make great choices right now. So let them learn. They're going to make mistakes. Be there for them. It doesn't mean that they don't live with the consequences of their mistakes, but you know, instead of getting upset that they didn't choose something else, understanding that they couldn't choose something else. And that also helps then strengthen that parent-child relationship. And that's going to, that conversation helps to strengthen the doctor-parent relationship, not the doctor-patient as much as the doctor-parent. <laughs> and I do think it's important to know that smart kids do stupid stuff, that no child is above making bad decisions, and also that we can help them with that by modeling our own, take a deep breath, check your pulse, that kind of thing often is helpful from a physician's standpoint as well. I mean, if, if a kid tells me that they have thoughts of suicide because I'm taking the time to ask them that and I panic and have no idea what to do and they sense that, that's not helpful to them. So, you know, the parents, we have to regulate our own and I think physicians too regulate our own response to kids' distress and give them, give everybody a chance to breathe and think about what the decisions are going to be. We need to use the smart part of our brain too. Yes. And one of the things that we've learned from talking to teens and from personal experience is that the calmer we are, the more the teens will open up to us, whether you're the parent or the physician. When you can stay calm, they open up more. I had this experience with my daughter. She had been having panic attacks, which I did not know about at the time. There were some other things going on. And she was home from college on a break and had a panic attack, which is how I found out about them. So of course she had, she couldn't get out of that one, right? She had to tell mom this was what was happening and mom wanted to know more about it. But by that point, I had learned that I just very calmly, and not just outwardly calmly, like I had to really just internally keep breathing, keeping myself calm, because they sense that too, right? So you, like you said, do the deep breath, stay calm. And I just, I asked a question, and I just let it sit. And I let the silence sit there until she felt comfortable or ready to answer. And then I just said something affirming, just like, I appreciate you telling me this must be really hard on you. And then I shut my mouth again. And it took a while, but this was the affirmation. This is the lesson for that I share with other parents is she finally stopped. You know, she did that tilt the head to the side, quizzical expression. And she looked at me and she went, you're not freaking out. And after she's, and I just said, no, I said, I feel bad that this is happening for you and I want to help, but I don't even know what to do, but I'm here for you. Then the floodgates opened and it was my introvert just for like 45 minutes, nonstop stuff just kept coming out, coming out once she knew I wasn't going to freak out. A good mommy moment. 
Yay. Well, it's a learning moment, right? That Because that just showed me that I needed to do more of that. Yeah, and it silence. also showed me that that's why she wasn't telling me before, because she believed I was going to freak out. And I'm sure she had good evidence for that in her past. Yeah, is that mom has freaked is- out. <laughs> Keeping the silence, as you can tell, sometimes it's hard for me to even pause and giving somebody time to respond is super uncomfortable, especially for those of us that are perhaps extroverted to just give them a minute. But I was thinking about when you were talking about, again, this sort of self-regulation for parents, for physicians, like when we have a cardiac arrest and we run a code, the most important thing is that the lead who's managing the code, stays calm. You know, there's a set Mm -hmm. of protocols, there's things we do. And if everybody is doing their part and feels like they need to be skilled, of course, but you have to have a calm lead. And then you can, you know, question, you have an opportunity, but if the lead is not calm, it's chaos and things don't go well. So I think that's a good takeaway. And I sometimes tell kids, I know your parents are driving you crazy. And I get that. And as a parent, I can tell you from a parent's perspective, we just don't want you to die. We don't want you to get pregnant. And we don't want you to overdose on drugs. We're terrified about your safety. And that's where we get crazy. And so kind of just to share that perspective of where the parents coming from. And So that the kid can, for example, just a simple one, uh, curfew. If you just think ahead to call your parent and tell them that you're running late before they call you, that looks real good. Your parents like to know that you are taking the initiative to let them know because otherwise they're just freaking out. Where are they? Exactly. Yeah. A lot of the discord in families is coming from a place of love. It really is. It's love and concern. It just doesn't come out all that well sometimes, especially when fear gets involved. And parental fear is definitely one of the strongest. Well, we have to keep our young from being eaten by the lions, right? (laughs) Well, you've shared a lot of really great talking points. I, I love them. The listening and coaching and modeling. I'm going to make sure that those three points get taken down. Those are really good really for any adult. And then my last question to you is if you could make one thing happen differently for your parent community that you speak to, what would it be? For the parent community, what would happen differently? I would want the parents to feel calm and secure in the knowledge that that their kids will be okay, that they don't have to orchestrate an environment or or push their kids in a direction to create a particular life or circumstances in order for their kids to have a good and happy, safe life. That they can just love them and guide them through those teen and 20-something years. And even though it's messy in the process, that it will be okay that whatever this path, like you said, Lee, you said, yes, your kids went through some really difficult times, but look at the amazing adults they became. And I often hear that with kids who've gone through incredibly difficult times some things you would not wish on any family. My business partner, who's, you know, her son attempted suicide. He is now one of the most, probably the most 
say together young adults I have met. I, most adults I know don't have the grip on what's important in life and skills to get them through tough times and all of that. So all these things are okay. And you're a good parent and your, your child will be okay. So there's some degree of trust that your kids are going to be okay, even when you're terrified that they won't. The acceptance of what you can and can't do, that their brains are still under development and presence, just being with them. And, and I believe that those are similar characteristics that physicians can take is that we can trust that our parents are doing the best they can and accept the where the things are and what we know and what we don't know. That was a really good point you made that it's okay to not know everything because it's impossible to know everything as a physician and, and being present with families, regardless of how tough it is and when there are things you can't fix. I mean, I think about children that have terminal diseases that I can't fix. What I can do is ride the ride and stay with parents and be there for them and they know that. Yeah, and the silence that you mentioned earlier, Leah, you commented on how hard that is. And I agree, it's incredibly hard. But I think it's also very necessary, and especially when you have a parent who you're talking to as well, because we need time to process something. I remember the first time that you know somebody had commented to me that they thought that my daughter might be on the spectrum. And I didn't even really know, I didn't know anything about Asperger's at that time. It was a new word to me. It, the whole thing just freaked me out. And I needed time to digest it, to learn about it. And I think so in that moment with a physician, if you as a physician can, can say something and then just ha- allow some silence to be for a little bit and let that parent have a moment to feel that fear or that sadness or whatever they're going to experience and at least have a moment to move through that so they can maybe ask a question or even just say, you know, this is a lot to absorb. Take your time and we can talk about it at another time and whatever your procedure is for doing that, whether it's another visit or a phone call or an email or whatever. But, you know, this is a lot to absorb. I know that. But it's okay. I'll, like you said, I will. it's okay. I will help you walk through this and then give them time. But recognize that we do. We get scared and all those mama bear, papa bear instincts just come raging to the surface. And you as a doctor may end up getting, you know, the rage end of that, which is really unfair, but maybe helpful to recognize that it's not about you. It's just about that parent's fear. That is another really good point for parents is when kids are distressed, oftentimes it's not about us. It's about what's going on in their own lives that are separate from us. One, somebody once said, if you look at a kid's bedroom and see everything all over the floor, that's kind of what's going on in their brain. And I often think of that, you know, that level of just chaos sometimes that isn't about us. And so when a kid screams at you, I hate you, they probably don't really hate you. It feels personal for sure, but it may not always really be. A personal comment. Uh, they're just enraged and they're, you know, their reptilian brains on high alert. Exactly. And it's actually a compliment to your relationship because you're the safe place for them to let that out. So and you've you, made yourself that safe space and that's huge for a teenager. And I think if you can recognize that that's an important response to kids' distress, again, that calmness, 
this isn't about me. I'm not going to react to their anger. I'm going to kind of absorb it and listen to it and then help walk them through it when they're calmer. I really appreciate your insights and I'm sure that there is are there are lots of great topics on your podcast. I know I've listened to many of them. Where can people find you? And you know, I know you've written some books. So the easiest way to find me is my website, which is just my name. It's sandyfowler.com, Sandy with a Y. The podcast is there, but if you don't want to hunt for that, you can just look for Mighty Parenting across all social media and on any podcast player. It will pop up. Great. Well, I really want to thank you for your time. And I think, as I mentioned before, your, you know, really lead on doing podcasting and sharing information was really an inspiration for me. And I want to be able to bring excellent guests like yourselves and just have these conversations for pediatricians and really, you know, anybody else that wants to listen, of course, but for us to hear from the other side and hear other points of view. And I think the takeaway that, you know, we don't have to be experts in everything, but we have to be curious. And I love that because that's my mighty parenting. One of our paradigms is live curious because it it helps parents just like it will help physicians. And I love the work you're doing here, Leah. I think this podcast is going to be amazingly helpful for so many people, both pediatricians, parents, and other professionals. Well, I certainly hope so. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I'll really encourage folks to look for your podcast and your other things that you've been doing. So thanks again so much. Thank you, Leah. I want to thank Sandy for her really great work that she does to support parents. And I think she had lots of words of wisdom to share with pediatricians and other health professionals. My takeaways have been one, three things to keep in mind for parents and for clinicians, listening coaching and modeling. If we can do those for our kids, it's super helpful. It's okay for us to not know what to do, but we have to be honest about that. And parents are not going to be upset because we don't always have all the answers right away. Check your own pulse. Remember the code situation. You need to be calm in order for things to go well certainly good advice for parents, but also for pediatricians. And the most important thing is to be present and with parents and kids and ride the ride with them. Thanks again for joining me and check out the resource list for a couple of the books and for Sandy's podcast site. Take care and thanks for spending all your time with me today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I know how busy you are, and I so appreciate your time. If this has been helpful, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I would love to hear from you and welcome all feedback, ideas, and suggestions for future episodes. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. Let's do better together.